The following talk is given by Tara Brock, meditation teacher, psychologist, and author. So welcome to the first class uh, in this new year. I thought I'd start by uh, a post-holiday story that one uh, woman who drives a bus told that she stopped to pick up someone, a a young preschooler, and an older woman was standing with them. So when he got on the bus, she asked who that was, and he said, oh, that's my grandma. And she goes, oh, where does your grandmother live? And he said, oh, she lives at the airport. Whenever we want her, we just go there and get her. So here we are, post-holiday, for all that that means to us. For some, it's really, really difficult and stressful. Others, it's, it's joyful and fun. But we have our experiences. And for a number of us from the D.C. area, we, the day after Christmas, uh, began a retreat, our New Year's retreat, which is uh, six days. And at the end of the retreat, one man came up to talk to me, and he said, you know, I had a real breakthrough. And I, you know, through listening to the talks and practicing, and he, he said, my breakthrough was I realized that I'm not learning anything new. Um, I'm just remembering. I'm in a process of remembering. Uh, that the spiritual truths aren't out there, something that we sign on for or learn. There's nothing we're joining It's actually engaging in a process that is reminding us of something deep and intrinsic that's already within us. It's kind of waking it up inside us. I love that. Um, And as we know that this culture is so speedy and we get so lost in the trance of doing that we forget. We don't really listen. Uh, One of my favorite stories, some of you might remember, of a a woman who was pregnant, and she spent a lot of time with her young son while she was pregnant. And then uh, right before she went to the hospital to give birth, he said, when when my little sister comes back, can I have some time with her alone? Because they knew it was going to be a girl. And the mother was kind of curious, and she said, sure. She went off, had her baby, came back. And and the, the son, a few weeks in, reminded her that he had been promised some time alone. And so... Uh, his parents said, okay. He went in, he stood by the little girl's crib, and the parents left the door open a crack. And he, so they heard him, and they heard him saying in a very low voice, please tell me about God. I've begun to forget. So one of the best understandings I have of, of this path, and I think many of you feel the same, is that it's really about forgetting and remembering. That we all forget. It's just the nature of it. We forget. And we get caught up. And then meditation, being in nature, there are some collective rituals that are actually wise uh, living rituals, help us remember. And we're kind of remembering what most matters to us. We're remembering... Um, we're reconnecting with a a sense of spirit and aliveness 
one of the rituals that's at the heart of the Buddhist tradition and the elements of it you can find, I think, in all the uh, wisdom traditions is called taking refuge. And this is the uh, ritual we'll do tonight as part of the talk. And what we take refuge in, in, in the traditional uh, classic sense, is described as the Buddha, which is awareness, the Dharma, which is the living truth, the truth of the moment, what's right here, and the Sangha, which is the field of relationships, the, the loving relationships with each other. And when I started uh, diving into writing my book, True Refuge, I started discovering how these three refuges are really archetypal gateways uh, to spiritual awakening that are found in Hinduism and Judaism and Christianity. You can find those archetypes all over the place. Really, they're awareness, love, and truth. So we'll be exploring uh, these three refuges tonight. I thought I'd begin by, you know, saying, well, why do we really need refuge? What's, the, what's really causing this, this thing in us that feels we need to find refuge? And Chogyam Trungpa, a, a um, Tibetan teacher, describes our predicament this way. He says, it's like we are shipwrecked and finally find an island only to discover that it's clearly disappearing in the rising tides. Okay, so this is stress, right? That that island we find, this kind of temporary body-mind, inevitably we encounter aging and sickness and dying and losing others, and there's an uncertainty and the truth of impermanence that we're living with. And that creates an undercurrent of uh, stress, of feeling something's not okay, something's wrong, something's missing, we need to do something. So the, the feeling is, uh, William James put it beautifully, he said that the beginning, the first word in every religion is help. That in some way we perceive that predicament of this island that's being eaten away by the tides, and something in us wants help. We want to hold on to something. We want to find safety, security. So in the spiritual domain, the only true refuge, the only dependable refuge, is the awareness, the love, the truth, the reality, that's really our own deepest essence. In other words, there's no outward refuge that we can count on. Everything is just like we are. It's islands that are disappearing in the tides. But there is uh, something you might describe as a timeless presence. There is some experience of loving awareness that we can find but it's only right here and it's only right in this moment in our own being. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we explore these three gateways. How do we find that right here? How do we trust? And I think each one of us really longs to trust our own being. So, the first step 
of taking refuge is to become aware of how we're already taking refuge in ways that aren't working. Because until we see that, we can't begin to pay attention in a way that actually deepens our sense of trust and inner freedom. And, and in the book, True Refuge, I described this as false refuges. And false refuges aren't bad. They're, every one of us, in our desire to feel more secure, more loved, more knowing that we're safe, grabs onto things. And so to become aware of our temporary strategies for feeling better is really necessary if we're going to be able to then stop that grasping and pay deeper attention to our own being. So how do we do it? And many of you are aware of what I'm calling false refuges. I mean, we're aware often when we're with others of how much we want that person to either approve of us or like us or leave us alone. But in some way, when we're with others, we're trying to control what happens. Okay? We're aware of the false refuge of blaming, how often we use judgment um, in some way to feel better ourselves or to control how other people are doing things. Many of us are aware of how we use food as a false refuge as a way to uh, really control our biochemistry and get a temporary hit that soothes us. We're aware of how we use drugs or alcohol. Many of us are aware of the ways we speed around trying to get things done. And I, I claim that as one of my great false refuges that, you know, I check things off the list. And as soon as I've checked things off the list, there really is some sense of, ah, that lasts about four seconds, and then I think, you know, this is the next thing. Uh, My sister, many years ago, uh, left a cartoon on my computer, um, pinned to it, and it had two couples at dinner, and one man had his head in his plate. He was asleep, and the the caption said, nowadays Hal is 99% caffeine-free, you know. (laughs) So the flag of false refuge, the big flags, are that when we're pursuing them, we're leaving the present moment, we're leaving our bodies, our sense of awareness right here, and we're not here anymore. We leave nature, we leave others. There's not intimacy when we're pursuing false refuges. Does does that make sense when you kind of scan your lives and sense how it is? We're, we're just less intimate uh, with, with anything within and around us. I think of that a lot because um, I'm so aware of how much time, how many moments we're in front of a screen. And, and, it's, and it's, the cyber world's here. It's not like I'm saying, like there's some moral thing, like it shouldn't be here, let's get rid of it. But to be aware of the addictiveness of it and how we get lost in it, that we spend, and this is children also spend almost eight hours a day in front of a screen. That's scary. That uh, this generation of children spend uh, less than half the time that past generation and and their grandparents spend outside in nature. I always wonder if, if, if we're never in nature, 
how can we love what we belong to, this earth, in a way that will save it? On the lighter side, we'll listen. This is Yogi Berra, which should prepare you, (laughs) right? He says, I'm not going to buy my kids an encyclopedia. Let them walk to school like I did. (laughs) I thought that was cute. So the stress is a given. The question is, how do we respond? You know, how do we pay attention? And what would really free our minds and hearts? And so what we find is that as we become more awake, and and when I say on a spiritual path, in some way more and more consciously dedicated to living in presence, living in an open-hearted way, there's a gradual shift from the false refuges that we're using that cut us off to the habits of refuge that really have to do with, hmm, what's really happening right here? Resting more in awareness, really waking up our hearts. So let's look at how that happens. And we're going to take each of the three refuges and um, reflect on them a bit. And then we'll uh, close by doing a ritual that is designed to help us dedicate more and more of our conscious moments to really turning to true refuge, to one of these gateways. So the first gateway is refuge in the Buddha. And ultimately what that means is taking refuge in the light of awareness, this formless awakeness this consciousness that's looking out through your eyes and listening. And sometimes there's a way to just kind of tune in a little, and we'll do this right now. I'll just ask you to just do a very brief exercise that I like. And you can close your eyes. And for the next few moments, until I tell you to stop, the assignment is to not be aware, to just stop being aware. Just don't be aware. Don't be aware. Just check, are you not being aware right now? Okay, you can be aware again. <laughs> so let me check with you. How many were successful in not being aware? Can I? Oh, good. Okay, we had a couple. <laughs> I like to share that um, when I first did this, my mother was in the group, and, and, and when I asked, was anyone successful, she was the one hand that went up. <laughs> I like to give her credit. <laughs> So what we start noticing, awareness is just happening all the time. We're not always aware of awareness. But awareness is there. There's a noticing, a a cognizance that's there. And 
So the first refuge is to become aware of awareness and to just be that awareness. But because our habit of mind is to contract and fixate on objects, in other words, to be in a trance, in a story, um, there's different ways that we can move through this portal of taking refuge in this light of awareness. And one way is that we can bring to mind a, a being who's awakened and this and just in our mind reflect on the story of that person's awakening so we start sensing our own potential to wake up and if we look at the historical buddha uh, siddhartha gautama who attained enlightenment under the bodhi tree 2500 years ago as the story goes he was attacked by the shadow side which is mara you know greed hatred delusion so he sat under the tree And he got attacked by the energies of fear, which means, just like us, in his body, he felt that squeeze of something's wrong. Just like us, he felt that sense that around the corner something really bad was going to happen. He was living in in a body-mind just like ours. And his way of dealing with that was to keep that intention towards presence. He brought a kindness and a compassion to the energies of fear. And gradually, in that presence with fear, he realized that who he was was that presence, that there was room. In other words, his identity opened up. And rather than being the victim of the fear and the one fighting fear, he became that space, that luminous, awake space that fear could move through just like different weather systems can move through an open sky, but it doesn't stain that sky, it doesn't affect that sky. So he realized that sky-like mind. So we can reflect on the story of the Buddha's awakening, and something in us gets it that we can do, that that is our potential. Or it can be a story of any being awakening. So that's one way, the inspiration of an awakened being. And another way is that we can reflect on some being or something that we trust has wisdom and love living through it. So it could be a historical figure or a spiritual figure or someone alive right now that we just sense that, um, that light of awareness, that beauty, that goodness, that love living through. And if you bring to mind someone like that and you really sense that energy that's moving through them, then you can actually sense how, oh, it's right here, it's part of me too. Now I'll share that for myself in, in over the years in terms of taking refuge, when uh, I first heard the words take refuge in the Buddha, and there wasn't a great big explanation and all I saw was a statue of a, a male figure from 2,500 years ago, um, that, w- that didn't feel in the flow for me. I, f- I didn't feel like, okay, I'm taking refuge in this male from the past. That just didn't work. So I, my way of doing it, I kind of found my own way in, was um, I sensed the archetype of Kuan Yin, it's the Bodhisattva of compassion. And then... Even the figure of a bodhisattva didn't work, but more became just this field of um, light and love that I just called on and imagined. I said, okay, I'm taking refuge in this. And I imagined it, you know, 
flowing into me and then I imagined it kind of opening up out of me and just dissolving into it until I went, oh, so this is refuge in the light of awareness. So it's a bridge, okay, that you, that you bring to mind a being who represents the light of awareness and then discover how it's actually living right within you, emanating through your own being. Let's practice a little. Let's just check this out and see how it goes for you. Just kind of come sitting whatever way is comfortable. So again, this is the first of the refuges, taking refuge in awareness. And we began exploring it by just sensing how awareness is always here. And perhaps the most direct way to take refuge in awareness, if you're quiet enough, is just to sense this, this formless being, this background of stillness or silence, field of openness, that wakefulness that's here. And if you're not so quiet, what can open you to that or perhaps deepen that sense of that living awareness And what I'm inviting you right now to experiment with is to bring to mind some being who is an expression to you or expresses wisdom and compassion. And this could be a living being, you know, a grandmother or a child or a friend, teacher of yours. It could be a mythical or spiritual figure could be what you sense of as your own high self could be uh, just as I described a kind of more formless uh, field of, of light or energy but call on it invoke that invoke that being or that, that field the Buddha or a Bodhisattva could be great spirit. I sometimes think of it as the beloved. And if there are eyes in this figure or person or being, you might sense through those eyes this boundless love and kindness, awakeness. And if not, just sense in the presence that you've invoked that there is love. There's a very immediate, visceral sense of love and tenderness and light. And sense the love that's moving through that being or in this formless space as, as radiating and surrounding you and permeating you. So you feel like you're being bathed in Buddha nature and that light of awareness in a cellular way being filled with it, that radiant presence. And I sense that timeless presence as emanating and arising right from the space within your own being also. So you just merge and dissolve into 
that timeless, light-filled presence. Just be it. You are the stillness out of which this universe arises. You're the silence that's listening to thoughts. You're that awake, tender space that everything's happening in. The poet Ramakrishna says, O longing mind, dwell within the depth of your own pure nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Your naked awareness alone, O mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. O longing mind, dwell within the depth of your own pure nature. So this is the first of the three refuges where you take refuge right this moment in your own true nature in the awareness and light of who you really are. Okay, so that's the first of what is called the triple gem because there are different facets of this diamond-like nature of our being. And the second is taking refuge in the Dharma. And the Dharma is translated sometimes as the path or the way. I like to think of it as the nature of nature, the nature of reality itself. And you take refuge in the Dharma And it's much of the teachings in these talks and the practices are taking refuge right in this aliveness, this here and now experience. So with each refuge, you might think of it as there's an outer expression and an inner. The outer expression of taking refuge in Buddha nature is to consider a historical figure or have an image in your mind, but the inner is the light of awareness itself. Similarly, with taking refuge in the Dharma, the outer way of refuge are reading books or listening to the Dharma talks that that we listen to, are um, going into the natural world and sensing how the elements wake us up. And we all need these outer ways of bringing our attention into the present moment. They help us come right into the here and now, journaling, chanting, dancing, music. Okay? So, we have, so we have outer ways of taking refuge in the Dharma that bring us home. And then we have these ways of paying attention that very directly say, come back. Come back home. You know, stop fixating the attention like you're looking at a movie screen out there. What is happening right here? The poet Ryokan says, if you want to know the Buddhist law, Drift east, drift west, entrusting yourself 
to the waves. Okay? Entrusting yourself to the waves. This is the direct taking refuge in the Dharma and the nature of reality, entrusting yourself to all these different ways of sensations, of feelings, just opening to it. Now the challenge, and we're going to take a little bit of time with taking refuge in the Dharma, in the present moment, in the here and now, is that the waves aren't so easy. So we say take refuge in the waves, and the wave is some very painful, unpleasant sensation in the body, or some feeling of uh, anger, or grief, or resentment, or hurt. So it's not very easy to say, okay, take refuge, just open to that. And so we all, uh, in our own ways, get get challenged, and we each have our ways of running away from what's actually happening, and, and we kind of know, know our ways of doing it. One story, a novice is introduced to her new cell at a monastery, and she's told that it's a silent practice, there's no speaking, we're just being with what is, and every five years she gets an interview, okay, with Mother Superior. And at the interview, she's only allowed to say three words. Okay. Five years pass, first interview, and the question is, how are you doing, my child, from Mother Superior? And the response the novice answers is, bed too hard. (laughs) So Mother Superior says, keep practicing and praying. Five more years pass, and they meet again, and she's asked how she's doing, and the novice says, food is bad. (laughs) This time, Mother Superior responds, well... Keep practicing, praying, be with what is. Next interview. It's 15 years now. And again, Mother Superior asks her how she's doing, and the novice responds, I quit now. (laughs) And Mother Superior looks at her and says, I'm not surprised. You've been doing nothing but complaining ever since you got here. (laughs) So I like it because, in a way, when we watch ourselves and the waves keep happening, and what do we do? Have you noticed how many moments there's some complaint in the back of your mind about how it is? I mean, I re- I'm, I'm very aware of my inner whiner, so I figure others have it too, you know. So the practice that's entrusting ourselves to the waves has to do with learning to stay. That's the first step. It's like, okay, it's not easy, but there's some commitment to staying because something deep in us trusts that we will come home not by leaving, not by running away, not by believing our story of blame, but by opening to what's here. Something in us knows that. Even the people that I know that are most fervently running away, I sometimes think of it as this bicycle, that the more stressed we are, the faster we pedal away from the present moment, you know. And even those that are pedaling the fastest know deep down that they're leaving their own heart, they're leaving their own awareness, they're leaving the possibility of intimacy behind. So we have to stay and be with the waves. And that inquiry that we ask to help us is, there's two pieces to it. What is happening inside me right now? And can I let this be? That's really the heart of this practice of refuge in the Dharma, refuge in reality. What is happening right now? And you can just check it out, even even if you've heard this question a thousand times. Sense the power of it 
what is happening inside me right now? To reconnect you, to bring almost immediately a sense of intimate contact. And then, and can I be with this? Or you might say, can I let this be? So often we find ourselves wanting it different. And so it's really very powerful to commit ourselves to nailing our attention right to the moment. It's out of love for life that we, right here, one uh, teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, has a, a little mantra. He says, it's like this moment after moment, to not add on all the interpretations that, and that make it wrong. It's like this, just that bare-bone, simple, it's like this. And it's said with quality of firmness, but also kindness. It's like this. I had a friend some years back that went through a divorce and uh, with, as many people experienced, waves of alternating of grief and then anger and then grief and then anger how he was wrong, how she was wrong, how they should have seen the flags. And it just was really going on and on. And he'd, you know, get her emails and he'd interpret. He'd spend a lot of time interpreting things. Then he realized he was really suffering. And he became very consciously committed to taking refuge in the Dharma, taking refuge in the present moment. Really, as, as I just named it, nailing his attention to the moment. So over and over again, that meant the stories were going through his mind, who was right, who was wrong, what should have been or could have been. Over and over, come back, just this. It's like this. Just this moment. Feel exactly what's here, the stabbing or the aching or the tightness, feeling the waves of fear when his mind moved into the future. Over and over again, It's like this. And then with real kindness, can I just be with this? Can I just let this be? And what he discovered through that was he had the capacity to be with it. He gained this kind of confidence that he could hold what was happening, that it kept changing, that his real pain was when he would hold on to things and get back into his judgment and his stories. But if he just stayed... If he just stayed and said, it's like this right now, the waves would come and the waves would go. And then they'd come and they'd go. And he started sensing who he was, was that, that presence, that clear, awake presence that it was happening in. There was truly a homecoming by taking refuge in the Dharma. There's a a beautiful line from Rumi. He says, don't turn away. Keep your eyes on the wounded place. That's where the light enters you. I think we know that. That if you look through your life and you sense the times when the waves were the strongest or most intense or when, when your life was falling apart in some way, you know, whether it was health or relationship, financial, when really when things get cracked and broken open. And we sense that in that breaking open, part of what's breaking open is that solid self that's controlling things, 
It's like we're no longer able to navigate and use the same false refuges and hold it together. When we fall apart, there's a possibility of what can shine through that lets us know who we really are. Let me uh, share one more story with you. I I really love this. This was told by uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, who many of you might know of, a wonderful physician and author and teacher. And she talks about a young man who was the angriest patient she ever had. And uh, he was an avid athlete and really popular and handsome, and he got diagnosed with a cancer that required removing his leg. And when he awoke from surgery and and discovered he was entering a different life, he fell into a really big depression, and he started using drugs and drinking heavily. And so she met with him and started working with him. And uh, she asked him to draw a picture of his body, and he, he scribbled a vase that had a big crack in it, and he teared the paper up when he was finished with the drawing. So he continued to work with her. And um, she kept that picture of the vase in her drawer. And then he started asking about how other kids lived with an amputation. And so she recommended he volunteer at a hospital where there were a number of young amputees like himself. So here's what happens. He meets a 21-year-old woman who is recovering from a double mastectomy because she had breast cancer. And uh, she would barely look up from her hospital bed. And after several attempts to get her to look up, he looked down on his leg, and he took off his prosthetic his, uh, device, dramatically dropped it. And then he started hopping around until finally he heard the woman started laughing. And then she finally looked up, and with a smile she said, Phil, if you can dance, maybe I can sing. He continued to visit her. And years later, as you might imagine, this is a story that's a true story, but it happened. They got married. But what I want to tell you about is the last visit with, uh, with Dr. Remen, where he walks into her room and she pulls out the picture of the crack vase. And studying it, he took the drawing. He said, you know, it's not really done. And he took a yellow highlighter from her desk and drew vibrant yellow lines extending out of the crack in the vase. And then he said, this is where the light comes from. And I always love that story because, like the Rumi poem, there's some great truth in it that um, when we can't use our false refuges anymore, when we can't hold our life together in our ordinary ways, we call on something much deeper inside us. And in that calling on, we start discovering and trusting the goodness and beauty of who we are. So this is taking refuge in the Dharma, and we'll uh, practice a little bit for a moment, if you will, just doing a brief reflection as we did before. Just closing your eyes, and we practice as we did a few minutes ago by just sensing, well, what is happening inside me right now? And can I be with this? 
And if you find your mind is busy, just to say thank you very much to the thoughts and gently bring your mind back into your body, your attention back into your body, into your heart. take refuge in the Dharma, in reality, is to wake up from the stories of the mind and entrust ourselves to these waves of aliveness. The poet Merwin says, little breath, breathe me gently, row me gently, for I am a river I'm learning to cross. So we feel the breath. We feel the sensations of aliveness in the body. We include the sounds. And if we scan and sense something difficult, challenging waves that are part of our life right now, we include them. It's like this. And see how much kindness, if you're finding some part of you is having a hard time. To take refuge in reality takes kindness. Deepening practice in this way is like first learning to swim. You discover that the water holds you up. You'll start discovering that moment after moment this life holds us. And you might sense, okay, this is taking refuge in the Dharma, really opening to, resting in the aliveness that's right here. It's homecoming to reality. So the third of the three refuges is Sangha, which means spiritual community. It really means, in the biggest sense, uh, all the beings of our life, the whole web of life. And Thich Nhat Hanh said famously in the West, the Buddha is the Sangha. In other words, right at the center of our awakening is this field of relationship. And that's what we're going to explore in the next class. But I'm going to say just a bit about refuge in the Sangha, and we'll reflect on it, and then we'll do our ceremony together, bringing all three uh, kind of into our lives, which I think you'll find really a valuable way of remembering. So the outer ways of taking refuge in the Sangha, joining Kalyanamitta, which is a spiritual friends group, or being part of a 12-step group for some people, could be an expression of the outer 
Um, it's conscious relationships. It's wherever we're on purpose waking up with each other. The inner refuge, really feeling the gratitude, the compassion, the love that connects us. The Buddha said some days we feel like strangers, you know, with ourselves, with others, with life. And when our hearts are open, we realize that we belong just here. We belong as much as the trees, as much as the earth, we're part of it. So we're going to just take a moment to do a a reflection on refuge in the Sangha uh, before we do our ceremony. I invite you to close your eyes again. And to begin with, just ask yourself, who is my Sangha? And again, think of Sangha as your your spiritual community. And it could be that you have one friend that helps you remember, that's a mirror for you, that inspires you, or it may be that you have a formal affiliation. Let the faces of beings, friends and family that are part of your heart, that are part of your awakening, come to mind right now. You're sensing the circle of beings that are, in a very immediate way, part of your heart and your awakening. And let one person now be in your mind who you love and feel a sense of belonging with. Someone that where it's an uncomplicated relationship, and you can include pets, and you include people, those that are no longer alive, but one person or one being. And sensing what you love about this being, his or her goodness, the way that being expresses love to you. You might see the look of his or her eyes looking at you with care and mentally whisper, thank you. Just feel your heart's appreciation. See if you can sense the quality of your togetherness, who you are together in a visceral way. And then just feeling the field of loving presence that that wakes up, sensing others in that field of loving, all those you brought to mind. Sensing all those that are listening right now, either in this room or listening around the world sensing all beings that are 
challenged, encountering difficulties, yearning to love and be loved. Poet Rumi says, we are the night ocean filled with glints of light. We are the space between the fish and the moon while we sit here together. This third refuge, taking refuge in Sangha, is taking refuge in this loving relatedness. We'll keep that in mind as we move directly into this ceremony of remembrance. Just as I started tonight with that story of the little boy asking his baby sister to remind him of God, we have this longing to remember who we are, who each of us is, this awareness, this love, this living presence that's our essence. So we're going to move into the ceremony of um, taking refuge. And I'll give you a few words about it that might, just to give you some context, that each of you has a thread. And what I'd like you to do is either put it around your neck so that the two ends are on your chest so that we can tie the two ends together. That's what you're going to be doing. Or you're going to be putting it around your wrist. But just so you know, this thread is... um, it's considered from the monk, from the a robe of a monk, because the monks wore these red robes and still do. And what it means is that in the marketplace, you're you're like a monk or nun in drag. You know, you're wearing your whatever your stuff, but deep down, you know, you this, you're remembering your true home. Okay, that's one idea. And Chogyam Trungpa was asked, well, because they're called protection cords, he was asked, um, what do these protect you from? And his response was, why, yourself, of course. (laughs) And I would say, I would add on, what they do is they protect you from forgetting. They help you remember. Okay? So we're going to do a reflection with these cords, and then I'm going to ask you to turn to a partner to help you put it on. So you can take it off your neck for right now and just hold the two ends of it. And I'm going to check again, does anyone not have a cord? If you don't have a cord, raise your hand and Glenn will come find you. So here's the reflection. Just to close your eyes, we have meditated together on these three refuges and you're going to now touch into them once again within your own being, within your heart and soul. And the first of the refuges to reflect on is taking refuge in Buddha nature, in this very awareness right now that lives through you, that in you which is awake, it's that luminous, timeless presence. And as you reflect on that, on your um, dedication to remembering this awareness, to living from awareness, to coming home over and over again, to this presence, please tie the first of the three knots into your protection cord. So just making a knot.
reflecting on the second of the refuges. I take refuge in the Dharma. You're reflecting on your dedication to turning towards presence over and over again. The actual experience of the present moment, this aliveness that's right here, these feelings, sensations, sounds. Taking refuge in the Dharma may mean the outer refuges of the listening to the talks or reading the books, whatever helps you remember. And ultimately, it's taking refuge in the life that's right here. So as you feel your heart's dedication to taking refuge in the Dharma in reality, please tie the second knot. And the final of the three is taking refuge in the Sangha. And again, just to inwardly reflect about your dedication to conscious relationship. It may be in an outer way. You have in mind a few relationships where you really want to let a deepened quality of attentiveness, of presence, of listening, of being vulnerable. It may be deepening your refuge in Sangha through serving, through volunteering, through helping. And in the innermost way, refuge in Sangha, our love, is really refuge in that loving presence that's innate within you. So as you feel your commitment to that, please tie the third knot. So with the tying of the third knot, uh, the cord is now considered activated. <laughs> so, so what you can do is either wrap it around your wrist or, as I described before, put it around the back of your neck so the two ends are in front. And, before you, and this is where Sangha comes in because we can't Um, do it by ourselves. We see that we really are interdependent and we need each other. So please turn to somebody nearby and um, take turns in silence uh, tying the ends of the knot together. And if there's nobody nearby, you can become a threesome, it's fine. But you're going to take turns with each other. As you're completing this, uh, I'll just let you know that many people wear their cords around until they in some way dissolve, <laughs> you know. Um, are, and, and some cut them and put them in a place on an altar or somewhere. But they can be incredible reminders to you. So just to consider it in that way. And we complete the ceremony. You have each have the chant sheet. We're going to 
do a chant and and even if it's unfamiliar, you can just kind of make sounds with it, but feel your heart there. And I'll begin the, the chanting, so please join in. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranam Gauchami Dhamang Saranam Gauchami Sangam Saranam Gauchami Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gauchami Dutyampi Dhamang Saranam Gauchami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gauchami Tatyampi Puram Saranam Gauchami Tatyampi Tamang Saranam Gauchami Tatyampi Sangam Saranam Gauchami Namaste and blessings. Thank you. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation, learn more about my schedule or programs offered by the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, please visit tarabrock.com and our imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.